<laughs> love stories are so fun. How many agree with me on that this morning? I mean, I, I just love, especially when Walt Disney gets involved, right? And uh, maybe you have a, a favorite love story. This was a movie called Up. Anybody watched that movie ever before? And I mean, it's just one of those movies that just reaches out and it grabs your heart and it gets you. And it's part of this idea of a love story. In fact, maybe for you, Walt Disney's, you know, favorite production for you is maybe Cinderella. How many like Cinderella? Uh, how many favor uh, Beauty and the Beast? Raise your hand. I'm curious. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, how about the old one? What was the old one? Lady and the Tramp. How many remember that one? Okay. And uh, we just love these, this idea of a love story. Why? Because, you know, loving and being loved is just part of, it's, it's part of being human, right? It's just part of, uh, of humanity. I mean, God is created that way. And so there is no wonder that when we think of John 3.16, where we read, For God so loved the world, there's something that resonates there. I mean, in its beauty and even its poetry as we think about God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so we wrap our arms around the idea that there is this loving father in heaven that loves us so much. And he created us in, in a way of, of not just, you know, any other thing or item or being or, or but he creates us in in a very special way, which is really his image. And so we have this loving father and we put our arms around that idea that this father creates us in his image. In fact, in Genesis chapter, uh, uh, what is it? Genesis chapter one. Yeah. Verse 27, we read. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him. So we begin this idea, really this Advent season, by thinking about, you know, the creator who created us in his image. And really thinking about how we relate to him in, in regards to his attributes, we could say, well, you know, we, we understand goodness and kindness and, and mercy and we're working towards those things. But, but what, do, what is the most relatable attribute of God? I mean, I mean, on a human plane, what is the most relatable attribute of God? It has to be his love. We'd have to agree with the idea that God is a loving God and that he he loves his creation. In fact, it's a theme that we find throughout all of Scripture in in first in Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul is writing. In fact, we've called it the love chapter. And it begins like this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he goes on to talk about prophecies and mysteries and knowledge. And I have all these things. And if I have even a faith that can move a mountain, I mean, think about the dynamic of that kind of faith. I mean, a supernatural faith would even raise somebody from the dead. I mean, to say this mountain, move from here to there. I mean, that is supernatural power. And he's saying that even if you had that kind of power, if you do not have this love, then you gain nothing. In fact, he talks about if I give all that I possess to the poor and I'm socially engaged and all that, but I do not have this love of Christ, then then I have nothing. He gives us then, you know, the rest of the chapter description of, you know, what love is. He talks about love is patient and love is kind and, and it's long suffering and all these things that we identify as, you know, the fruits of the spirit. When the spirit lives in us and, and, and we are, are filled by the spirit of the living God and that, that spirit, you know, begins to create in us God's image. And these things begin to become evident. But then he gives us the zinger. Look at verse 13 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The last verse. Verse 13. Here's the zinger. He says, and then these three remain faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is what? 
The greatest of these is love. So it's no surprise when we think about, you know, we think about Christmas and we begin, you know, this Advent season and we're lighting the candle of hope. And in fact, as we look at these beautiful windows that are our decorators put up, we'll see that each window will begin to have a word that appears on them, a different word, each Sunday as we begin the story, which is the Christmas story of Christ. So we cannot help but think that as the story unfolds that it is a story of love. It's a story of love. We see it in the context of Christ's birth. We see it in the history that builds up to, you know, the event of Christ's birth. In fact, we know that God created man and woman in his image. And, and I cannot think of a greater compliment that a creator can give to, you know, one that he's creating than to create that creation in his own image. I mean, as the father looks in the mirror and then he creates us and he breathes life into us. And there is this honor that we have that we are created in the beautiful image of God. We see that as a creator who is loving so much so that he creates us in his image. We, we see the love of God when we think about Abraham and he encounters the loving creator as one who promises that there will be blessing upon blessing, generation upon generation. And the plan of God unfolds for the generation of God's people and it's his love that is poured out upon them in spite of the rebellion. We can't help but see the loving God when King David tries to shatter his relationship with the father who loves them. And King David makes one bad choice after another bad choice. And in spite of that, this man being created after, you know, the heart of God, in spite of that, in spite of his worst efforts, God still loves him and he shows him mercy. And we see God forgiving him and building King David up. And then as history unfolds, we continue to follow the, the path there. And we think of the nation of Israel that, that shows in history them rejecting God and rejecting the Messiah. And then we see God that is a loving God that in spite of disobedience, in spite of acts that even could be described as spitting in God's face. He continues to show his love. He continues to pour mercy upon upon him. And it's any wonder then in Isaiah 53, 6, we read the words, we all like sheep have gone astray. Listen to this. We all like sheep have gone astray. And we've turned our own ways, what the scripture teaches us, that we've turned our own ways and it's our own desires and it's our own wants and, and it's our own appetites that we follow. In fact, so much so that we're willing to give up everything else to get what we want. And so we continue to read in the verse in Isaiah there that says, Then God lays upon him the iniquity or the sin of us all. And so upon the shoulders of the son that was born, you know, is our sin. And he goes to the cross. And so we, we can very easily say when we talk about Christmas that the birth of Christ, it, it's the story of love. It's the story of God's love for mankind. We see that in the very beginning. In fact, with me, go to Luke chapter, Luke chapter one, if you have God's word. Let's go there together this morning. Go to Luke chapter one. And we're just going to kind of begin to read the, the beginning of the story uh, of this Advent season. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, note that, that's important. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Then verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will receive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for Lord this, this story. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God that, that loves us, a God that that interacts with his creation, and a God that is so very intimate. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just, Lord, move that one heart this morning that maybe needs to be lifted up right now. Be with that one, maybe, that they've had a difficult week and they've been discouraged and they came to church just, just to be lifted. I pray, Father, that your spirit will come in and just wrap around that person, just lift them and bless them as we look at your word. And so we pray your blessing, your anointing upon it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. So here in the Annunciation, and the Annunciation, by the way, is the announcement of the Incarnation by the angel Gabriel. That's the Annunciation. The Annunciation is the announcement of the Incarnation by the, ga- the angel Gabriel. Say that with me. What is that? What is the Annunciation? Is the announcement of the Incarnation by the angel Gabriel. And in that announcement, in this annunciation, we see the revelation of God's love. And in particular, it's the revelation of God's love in the birth of Christ. And really, there's really two thoughts that I have this morning. Really simple. I'll invite you to follow along. You can fill in the notes if you want there in the bulletin. But we're going to just really look at this revelation of God's love because that's the beginning of the story. It's the story of love. I mean, that's what Christmas is, Advent season, the beginning of the story of love. Then what is the revelation? Well, first we see the revelation in the integrity of God's unfolding plan. Think about that for just a moment. In the integrity of God's unfolding plan. I mean, Tom, this was what we're waiting for. This is the event that that we are planning on. I mean, this is the Advent season that Jesus Christ was coming as king. I mean, now is the time and now is the place. And Mary was having this visit from the angel. And then things began to unfold. And then in the passage, as we look at the passage, go down towards the, the bottom end of the passage. We notice three different phases. The first is that the Lord will give him. We read there, the Lord will give him the throne of David, which really is the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy that's coming to reality. Amen. I mean, that's something that we can agree on, that this is a fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy. And we know that And the second phase in is he will reign. The next part of the phrase is he will reign over Jacob's distance forever, which means there is no other Messiah. 
This is the time. Again, this is the place. There's no other Messiah. There was not a Messiah in the past. There is not a Messiah that we are waiting for. We're not waiting for the Messiah. We're not waiting for the answer of man. Jesus Christ is the answer for mankind. And so in this text, we recognize that he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever because this is the Messiah that has been announced in this annunciation. That's the second phase. And here is the third phase. His kingdom, get this, his kingdom will never end. There is no other kingdom. There is not the kingdom of this world. There's not the kingdom of some empire, empire or some kind of power. You see, the kingdom that counts is the kingdom of God. You believe that? Shake your head up and down. The kingdom that counts is the kingdom of God. There is no other kingdom. And I, I think even in the temptation of, 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 of dualism, this idea of, of, of good and, and, and bad or light and darkness, there's a danger there because it's not those separate kingdoms. It is the kingdom of God that matters. And that that's what this teaches us is that it's God's kingdom that comes through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, remember, the unfolding integrity of God's plan. That's where we started. The unfolding integrity of God's plan we see in the credibility of even what's happening today. In fact, we think about the history of God's church and we study the history as it, it just kind of reveals itself, you know, century by century. And, and even in the history of the local church and we experience Christ here in, in, in his presence in this holy place as we encounter the living God and he touches our lives and transforms our hearts. There's evidence in that. There's credibility in that. And then there's the credibility of, of, of archaeology. In fact, we just spent a couple of weeks, some of us, in the Holy Land. And, and we were there and our hearts were moved because, folks, every time something is uncovered in the Holy Land and every piece of archaeology gives evidence and proof that the Bible is real. And that the story of Jesus is real and that Jesus Christ really was born and Jesus really was crucified and Jesus really was resurrected from the dead and the world in history and archaeology and all of that gives us, you know, the uh, evidence that we need and also the integrity of God's unfolding plan. And that's important. You know, I, I think the temptation is that we make it more complex than it needs to be. I mean, we really do. I mean, we get involved in all kinds of philosophies and theologies and we try to make salvation or faith such a complex thing. We we make it, you know, like in the olden days, back in the day when we used a, a folding map to get somewhere, guys, you know, guys, we have a hard time asking for directions. And there was a day before GPS teams. Before we had the GPS and we type in an address, we would have to use a folding map and talk about a distraction while you're driving, right? I mean, the unfolding map, you unfold the map and you have like five steps to go through. You find out where you're at and where is the town. You've got to go to the city index and you look up the city on the city index and this thing's unfolded in front of you, blocking part of the window. I mean, you shouldn't do it when you're driving, but, you know, guys would try this. And then you're taking the, you know, the letter index there, the D and the R or the D and the three, and you find the D and then you find the three and you triangulate and you're you're doing this why you want to be integrable as a driver right you want to be able to lead people somewhere you know and so you have the complexity of this unfolding map and that's not to mention trying to fold the map up back together again man it's impossible almost and so we make it sometimes complex like that rather than realizing that the simple plan of god is in the advent of his son jesus christ it, it does not have to be complex like that. There is integrity in the unfolding simple plan 
of Jesus Christ and that that Jesus Christ is is the story of God's love for us, for, for mankind. But then mostly, again, very simply, mostly we see it not only in the integrity of God's unfolding plan. Here's the second idea. I mean, remember this. Here's the second idea. The second idea is that we see it. This is the revelation of God's love, that God is a loving creator. That's what I'm saying, that God is a loving creator. We see it in, in, in God coming to mankind. We see it, God, in coming to, to his creation. In fact, he, he does not leave us unto ourselves. He does not leave us, you know, high and dry, but he comes to us. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been in the presence of, of a lonely person and they begin to leap for joy and they're caught tears and their eyes well up with tears because they've encountered the story of Jesus. And they've come to the altar and they encounter the living Christ and they hear about Jesus, the Savior that loves them. And then they well up with happiness and they've been lonely and they've been lost. But now they're not lost and they're not lonely because of the story of Jesus Christ. You see, that's part of the story is, is that God comes to, to mankind. We look at the passage here and we see how God breaks into the physical world like like, like uh, coming through a black hole and exploding on the, the scene of humanity in, in the presence of this, this angel. And, and I think when we come to the story of Jesus' birth, there is this tendency to, to kind of read it in a simple way, you know. I, I think oftentimes the temptation is just leave it flat on the page because we've seen it so many times. I mean, we, we've watched it, you know, unfold so many times in, in simple ways and sometimes in really cute ways. As kids act the story out in front of us, which is fantastic. But, but I think the temptation is that we remain calm about it when in reality, man, it is something that has magnitude. You see, it begins, you know, God announces he's coming in prophecy, but then God, he breaks open human history. He makes his presence known when the angel appears to Mary. And here's what it says in the passage. Look at that. Here's what it says. It reads, Mary was more than greatly troubled. She was more than greatly troubled when the angel appears. I'm trying to imagine that if I were in Mary's shoes and here's this apparition, here's the spirit or here is the angel Gabriel and Gabriel makes an appearance. And I can imagine that Mary's world was shaken because she's encountering this, this angel and then the angel speaks. And so now we have God that is making contact with mankind, his creation. And then we read that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon her and now God's presence is realized because now Mary is pregnant. Follow me. Mary's pregnant now. And then, of course, then what happens as she conceives, then, of course, God comes to us by becoming flesh among us. And we see in his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. And God, he comes to man and he makes his presence known and he encounters man and he touches man. And then he is present there amongst man in the form of this little baby named Jesus Christ. So the very birth of Christ that we're beginning to think about in this Advent season is that God comes to us and his creation is permeated with the spirit and implications of his great love for us because God is a loving God and it is a, a story of love because he comes to us. I mean, that's the evidence of the, the creator that loves us. Do we see that? It's because God, he comes to us and he encounters man. I, I think a, a very typical question we ask at Christmas time is we say, you know, who, who's coming over? 
Right. I mean, who's coming? Who's coming over for Christmas? Because the tender and very deep and emotional reality is those that we have at our house at Christmas time are very precious people. And it's family oftentimes. Sometimes, you know, those that are close to us, it's not family, I understand. And, and we make the track to their home or they make the track sometimes across country and they come to the home and we experience the presence of these very precious people that we love. And they come to us because the relationship is special and we encounter them and we enjoy their presence and we begin to make holiday memories together because they've come to us. And that becomes so important and valuable to us as we experience Christmas together during the holiday season. I never forget our our first Christmas um, by ourselves. My wife and I got married in 1986, and then we spent our very first Christmas alone. We were in Kansas City, Kansas, going to seminary, and we were poor. I mean, we I think I made five fifty an hour, and my wife made three dollars and fifty cents an hour as a grocery checkout clerk girl, and. Um, and we, we were just so broke, we couldn't even afford Christmas presents, you know that, guys? Uh, I, I think we ended up buying each other something, one or two things, and we had to charge it to a credit card, which was a bad idea, by the way. And, uh, but, but I will never forget, it's about two weeks before Christmas, my mom and dad, they drive 1,400 miles from Nampa, Idaho, to Kansas City, and mom and dad come knocking at our door. And show up. And they just want to be present. They, they didn't get to stay until Christmas. But man they brought you know packages with them. Like a whole bag of packages in a box. And they left our tree full of packages. Probably four or five packages for each. My wife and I. When we were kind of alone. Kind of desperate. Kind of hurting. Kind of trying to work it out. It was tough. But mom and dad had come. And when mom and dad had come. The whole feeling was lifted up and the whole atmosphere changed because they loved us and they come to be a part of our life. This Christmas season, it's not complex. It's not profound. God comes. He comes and he comes bearing a gift. And the gift that he bears is that he loves you this morning. He loves you. He loves you today. Do you know that? God comes bearing the simple gift that he loves you. And he loves you so much that God becomes flesh and dwells among us and loves us. And he gives us life for us. Yeah, Christmas, it's a story of love. We're going to enjoy love for this Christmas. I know that you're going to love people that's in your home and family, and you're going to show love to others, and you're going to welcome people with love. And you might have a surprise guest that will knock on your door, right, and show up. Probably not someone like Cousin Eddie, you know, from National Lampoon's movie Vacation. No, probably not. But, but somebody that you, you love that will make a difference. <laughs> I put, should not have put that image in your head. I am sorry. Uh, but what a special time for us this year as we worship the Lord and we are reminded that Christmas is a story of love. He loves you today. And I want to invite us to begin the Advent season, not only with hope, right? But the fact that God loves us so much that he became flesh. And we recognize that flesh this morning, that he's coming. And we're going to light each candle as we go. 
And they will celebrate on Christmas Eve as we light the Christmas candle together. Let us stand, and we're going to pray. Let's stand together. Precious Father in heaven, I love you so much this morning. I thank you, Father, for, Lord, the message that is not profound, the message of hope that is so simple, that, Lord, that you became flesh, this baby Jesus, and you brought to us the greatest gift that mankind could ever ask for, and that is salvation, that is relationship with you, the message that you love us. And so, Father, today our hearts are just full. They're full with this truth this morning and this story And so, Lord, as we begin this journey together, I pray that you would anoint this Advent season. And I ask, Father, that you would bless our families. I I pray for the one that is lonely right now. As I mentioned, my folks just knocking on the door. It's possible that there's somebody here today, they need somebody to knock on their door because they're lonely or they're hurting or they're lost. Or they know maybe they're struggling because of decisions they made. I, I ask, Father, that you'd be with that person right now, that you would lift their spirits. I pray that, Father in heaven, that they would leave this sanctuary knowing that they have hope in Christ. I pray, Father, for, Lord, the home that is maybe rethinking Christmas. They're being reminded of the right reason why we should have Christmas. Not all the wrong reasons, but all the right reasons. And I pray that you would just be with that home that is rethinking Christmas and that you would bless them as they understand what hope means, hope in Christ, that, Lord, that you'd be glorified in that. And so, Father, we just bring all of these thoughts and our feelings in this prayer, Father, we give to you. Thank you for this Advent season. Thank you, Father, for the hope we have in Christ. Thank you for loving us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. I was kind of moved a bit when I heard on the radio that there was a town in England that had really a principal of a school that said, we're canceling Christmas. That's what they said. A town in England canceled Christmas. It was a principal. And and then they told the rest of the story. And the rest of the story was the principal said to the kids at the elementary school, you have 30 days to write why we should have Christmas. So they didn't really cancel Christmas. But what a great way to motivate the kids to write about the real reason for the season. To write about why we really should have Christmas. Not because of the barrage of commercialization and all the things that the world has thrown at us. But for the right reason for Jesus Christ and to recognize his birth. And he gave them 30 days to write about it. Amen. What would you write about? What would you write about? Why should we have Christmas? That would be a great way to start an Advent season. Let's worship. Let's worship.